Verna Dozier, the wonderful African-American Episcopal theologian, wrote, a funny thing happened on the way to the kingdom. The church, the people of God, became the church, the institution. I used to teach Verna Dozier when I taught second and third year students at the School for Deacons because she never let up on the power of the ministry of the laity and was always shaking people's shoulders to wake up now. You are the church and you have work to do. She was a lay woman herself and she was a mighty powerhouse. She died in 2006 at the age of 88. But during her life in ministry, she was a strong voice for what the kingdom of God could be and where and how it kept falling short of the promise. So I've been thinking a lot about that this past long week and a half. Has it only been a week and a half? Seems like forever. When did we get so wrapped up in our institutions, both religious and secular, and lose sight of the kingdom that Jesus preached when he walked the road with us? Jeremiah is so prescient, which is why I guess I call him a prophet, when he says, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Now, Jeremiah, of course, is talking about the Babylonian captivity and the diaspora of the Jewish people. They'd made mistakes. They had privileged the desires of the world over what the Lord their God had in mind for them, and all seems lost. But he leaves them a hope. The days are surely coming, he says, when God will raise up for them someone who will execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so this is where I find myself today. That first night after the election, when I lay dumbfounded that this nation could have elected someone who had stoked the fires of racism, Islamophobia, and misogyny, and had so desecrated the norms of respectful public discourse, that all I wanted to do was pray. And all I could come up with was, God, you are such a, and you can fill in the blank and you'd probably be right. I've never been so angry and feeling that God has just set us spinning and forgotten us. Maybe some of you felt the same, but don't want to admit it. But I'm here to tell you, it's okay. You know, for those of you who didn't feel that way, you're better people than I am, but that's no surprise. But I wasn't left spinning and forgotten. Grace entered in, thanks be to God. And I was left feeling, as Brother Richard Edward reminded us last week in this quote from Shakespeare, the fault, dear Brutus, lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. Ah, I did this. We did this, not they did this. Jeremiah's indictment of the Jewish people is the same indictment that we encounter today. It is you who have scattered my flock. It is you who have not attended to them. But God has raised up for us someone who will execute justice and righteousness, because the same Christ who rose again still lives in us today. But are we falling short of the promise? Are we falling short as the church, the people of God, and falling into the comfort of our institutions, passing the buck, so to speak, becoming, as Dozier says, servants of the status quo, rather than servants of God. The lives we are called to live don't happen here in our churches. 
although we come here for the sustenance needed to go out into the world. Our work begins as we hear at the end of every service when we go out into the world to love and serve the Lord. But are we? Are we following Christ, our King, or something else? Have we enthroned our privilege and our comforts ahead of the one who has been sent to execute justice and righteousness? I believe that the events of the past weeks and months are going to call our commitment into question, and we're going to be asked in very concrete terms to choose how we are to live as the people of God. So in that moment of grace, after I cried out my despair to God, I realized that we have been given a great gift. We have been given a chance to have our eyes and ears opened. We've been given a chance to energize our faith communities with the same spirit that so infused the early Christian communities to live a truly countercultural life. The king that they had been sent, the one promised by Jeremiah, didn't look like the one that they had expected, the one who would vanquish their enemies and restore them to their former glory because glory wasn't exactly in the equation. Riches and comforts weren't exactly what Jesus had in mind. The Christian economy, according to Dozier, requires us to ask, what are the systems and structures that will give dignity to all people, and how can we bring them into being? I was at a community organizing training the other night, sponsored by the Marin Organizing Committee. It was a really good night, and I'll be sharing more of what I learned there with you in the days to come. But in conversation with some of the other attendees, I heard two things that weren't part of the training. One was when someone said, where there is justice, there is less need for charity. And the other was a woman who talked about the great turning, the work of Joanna Macy, who says, the essential adventure of our time is the shift from the industrial growth society to a life-sustaining society. And for me, what happened last week was the wake-up call that we haven't been listening to the deep concerns of God's people. And yes, it has found its expression in those things that have the capacity to tear our society apart, but it has, it has also challenged us to really reevaluate just what it is that we mean when we say Christ is our king. What does it look like when we exe execute justice and righteousness? Joanna Macy says that the process is threefold. First, you stop the bleeding. And second, you change the conditions that caused the bleeding in the first place. And third, you create a paradigm shift that changes attitudes and hearts. But here's the kicker. You can't have one without the other. All have to be working at the same time. When people are hungry, you give them food to eat. Here at Church of Our Savior, we'll be doing our part to provide food for the women at the rest shelter. We have to do that. Further, we provide a shelter for them on the coldest nights of the year through the system of rotating shelters throughout the county. And for the most part, it's the churches doing this, trying to live out their faith in a concrete way. In the days to come, we will be challenged by the very real threat to our immigrant neighbors, 
and those who find their very housing at risk. And we will be asked to find a way to stop the hemorrhaging of people without homes, uprooted from their homes, families, and communities. We will be asked to respond to people who are threatened by virtue of their faith, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. We will be called upon to act. Even now, we are being called upon to confront the very real fear and hopelessness of those who feel left out of their place in society. Their jobs gone, with no hope of finding another that pays enough for them to live in financial security. Stopping the bleeding there is going to be trickier. What we can do now is make sure that we listen and do our best to understand and that we truly do hear the cries of God's people. I think that we are being challenged to find the action needed to change the conditions that caused these problems in the first place. And I'd like to use as an example from my own recent experience with the homelessness issue here in Marin. When we first moved here a year ago, I was still working in homeless programs in San Francisco, and the issue here in Marin wasn't really on my radar. But then I signed up for the Nextdoor website to learn about my new community and see what was going on. And it quickly became apparent that there was a fair amount of vitriol against homeless people. They were bums and worthless slums. They had no business here in our community. And anyone who showed any compassion for their situation was quickly insulted and shut down. There was a lot of talk about all the services in Marin that were attracting the homeless to come here and ruin our community. There was an effort to shut down the Ritter Center, which is the multi-service center serving the homeless people here in Marin, because it was attracting the wrong element. So I went to the San Rafael City Council meeting in June, when the agenda item was to rescind the Ritter Center's use permit. And the meeting was packed with MOC people. It was standing room only. And they were fierce. And the Ritter Center lives. And I have to believe that it was the advocacy of a committed group of people putting their faith into action that made that happen. I recently went on the board of the Ritter Center and had been getting oriented to the homeless services offered here in Marin. And I have to tell you, no one's coming here because of the great services. There are practically no services, truth be told. The rest shelter is good as far as it goes. It beats sleeping outdoors in the dead of winter. But please, it only operates five months out of the year. And most of the sites rotate around to different churches. And they only operate at night. So what you do or where you rest during the day is anyone's guess. Although there are plenty of people who are outraged that they're hanging around downtown as if they had no place else to go. Well, yeah, they have no place else to go. Even the Mill Street shelter, the only other short-term shelter where people can stay up to six months, requires that they have to be out during the day by 7.30 in the morning. And they have to re-sign up every afternoon for a bed that night. So this is an example of stopping the bleeding. But does it really have any chance at all of changing the conditions that started it in the first place? A huge effort was made to establish a multi-service center on Mark Drive in Terra Linda. And many of you participated in lending support to that effort. But the NIMBY outcry scuttled that, so it's back to the drawing board. But we have to go back to the drawing board. 
The suffering that this housing crisis is causing is unimaginable. And the paradigm shift that needs to happen to change the hearts and minds of those who can't see the humanity in the other and needs to change in us if we think the problem is intractable and there's nothing we can do has to happen. So we limp along, putting on bandages and tourniquets, when we also need to be doing that stage two and stage three work that Joanna Macy talks about. We need bread for this journey, and this is why we're here. Our work's only going to get harder as the days go by. We're going to be asked to commit and to not do it by half measure. We need to take Joanna Macy's schematic to heart and not do some without the other. We are to claim Christ as our king and work for justice and righteousness. We need to hold each other up as we fulfill our baptismal covenant and as we hold up Ian and Chloe as the newest members of this body so that they, too, will work alongside us as we build the kingdom. We must never again allow our flock to be scattered and be guilty of not attending to them. Christ, our King, will be walking beside us every step of the way. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.